those people who get dressed up just to go to Beamish. Like in the old time, we saw it before when we took the kid. Do you remember when she was really, really, really to little pub. to the pub, and they all came in, and I was like really shocked. There was a couple who were sat and they were getting the photos taken. Yeah. Well, the woman was getting a picture took. Yeah, yeah, but the, the, and no, we just no, people, used to go every weekend. Yeah, people for a walk. People were taking photos with her, like she was an attraction, but she was just there as a like a customer. I can't remember people getting photos yeah, of her, but we, I can remember her husband taking photos no, of her. Oh, yeah, I remember that. But um, I think there was like an Asian student. I think you're just making this up at this point. I, I can't remember that. I can. I'll be I'm pretty sure the woman who was dressed like a Beamish person, she was getting pictures done by a boyfriend. A Victorian woman. Yeah, she was getting pictures done by a boyfriend. And then there was like an Asian student who said, can I get a picture with you? Like she was an attraction, which to be fair, you can't really dress up like that and then be like, "No, I just want some privacy. Leave me alone." Like especially at being, it's an attention-seeking thing, really, isn't it? it? it a bit is. Dressing up, it is. It is. Uh, you know, I I hear about these these people who are apparently very shy, mm. and no, they're like, yeah, "Oh, yeah. no one likes me. I spend all my time in my bedroom and." Yeah. I've got no friends, and then they go out dressed in a furry animal suit, and you think furries are fucking with your face out. Well, no, furries are fucking degenerate. Like furries, no, furries are different. I understand. Like, I can understand you putting a mask on. No one can actually see who you are underneath. Where so, like, you you being someone else, but people who like like goths and stuff. I was going to say that. Like, there's, there's that girl who lives up the street. You're drawing a ta- a, like attention to yourself. But you're also going to complain about people looking at you. Like some people, a lot of people will just look at you because you're different. I, and I, that's fine. Like the, the, yeah, the the, They'll just be looking maybe because they'll think, oh, they look cool. But in their head, these types of people think, oh, they're looking at me because of this. And it's it's going to be negative. And actually, quite often, it isn't negative. It's just if I saw a naked person running down the street, I'd look out curiosity. I'm not yeah, going to turn away. I'm going to think, oh, I wonder if he's got a big willy or... Th- like, oh, thi- that's a funny yeah. mole on your bum cheek. The thing is, right, that we, we've got it all backwards, right? Because to dress the way that, like, goths and that dress takes the utmost self-confidence. So I think you're failing yourself as a goth if you haven't got self-confidence. Because there are some goths who have got... They are the most confident people in the world. I went to school with a, a goth lad called Martin, right? And he spelled his Y with a... Uh, he spelled his name with a Y, right? He was one of the coolest motherfuckers in the world because he truly, truly did not give a shit what anybody thought. He was going to dress the way he dressed. He was going to do what the fuck he wanted. And he's dropped off the face of the earth, so I have no idea where he is, but... Uh, shout out to Martin, are you still alive? Shout out to Martin with a Y, it's Chris from Greenfield. Are you sleeping in a coffin at night? But no, but like, I, I think any like goths or, or like alternative people who've got low self-esteem, you're failing yourselves at being those people because you should have the most confidence. It's if, a persona. If, yeah, if you're going to go out dressed like you've got fucking brightly coloured hair or like you, you're dressed in like... 2003 Linkin Park ripped jeans. You've got to you've you've got to have some confidence to do that. That that is not the act of a person with low confidence. The act of a person with low self confidence to go out is a, in a white t shirt and plain jeans, because you just you, you're trying to blend in. You know. Yeah, exactly. That's why I love London. Yeah. Anyway, shout out to the goths. 
<laughs> I, love, I love goths. I'm going to go into my goth season soon, actually. Yeah, it's nearly I Halloween. Feel like the darkness is it's it's ne- kind of creeping in on me. It's nearly October, so we're going to get spooky real soon. We're holding off on doing Ongolian. Spoofy. And, and yeah, we're going to get spoofy. Uh, we've held off on doing spiders and werewolves and that because we're going to do it over Halloween. Can I have some more Yeah, yeah, you can. Of course you can. You're going to have to meet me halfway, though, because my arms aren't as long as yours. My beard's tickling the microphone. I can hear it like right in my headset when I'm doing it. But, right. Hello. Welcome back to another episode. We took last week off because it's just. It was the just vibes one, were off. The vibes were off. We, we came in, came into the studio, and we were like, nah, the vibes are off. Let's just say I handed my notice in. Yeah, Becca's quitting a job. For the good of. Myself, really. Everyone at work's just said, "Go you." Like yeah. how? How? Um, don't don't stay somewhere. You're gonna be unhappy, right? And don't I wasn't stay. Unhappy, no, but that, no, undervalued. But that, yeah, and don't stay where you're not valued, right? And that's regardless of. So my ex, right? I've told you this before. My ex would was happy with me earning thirteen and a half grand a year in a call center, miserable as fuck, right? And that was because she was scared of change. So, like, I I will always say. And I've always said to you, and I've always fully supported you with, like, you know, go and do what you want to do. So, yeah. Uh, I'm actually, like, regardless of the fact I cried before I started recording, um, I actually feel quite excited because I don't know where the hell I'm going. Well, you've already, yeah, you do you do some, like, cool museum work, which is, anyway, let's let's not go too much into that or we'll just end up doxing ourselves, which, I mean, it's not a big deal because there's no, like, um, militant Lord of the Rings nerds who are like, I'm going to kill that fat bastard. <laughs> Or a hope, anyway. What, me or you? Uh, I'd pass. Uh, no comment. <laughs> no comment. Right. Yeah, so the vibes were off last week. It was just, it was just bad. like, there was too much going on. Like, I, I've got stuff going on with work. Becker had stuff going on with her lack of work soon. Oh. Right, very good time to mention we're drinking whiskey tonight. <laughs> so that might be, that might be in it. Right. Uh, okay, T- today's episode is about hobbits. Okay? Yeah. But, I'm going to be very upfront here. We're not going to cover Bilbo and Frodo and, and Sam, Mary, Pippin and, and, and all them, right? They'll get mentioned, naturally, but I'm more concerned with the origins of Hobbits, their history, the language, oh. and the real-world influence. There is a bit at the end that I'm very much in particular looking forward to. But no, the reason I mentioned I've um, not listened to... I've, I've not been on Instagram much is because partly I just haven't really been on that much, but also partly... My fault. I've had to turn off the notifications because I made a couple of like, I'm not. I'm not like bragging or anything. I made a couple of like memes that made me laugh, but they also made people laugh as well. So every time I go on, like I see like a fuckload of notifications and I can't go through them all because there's just too many. So it's like, oh, you're real as this. So yeah, I've just not been on social media much. But shout out to the fellowship of readers because today. Marks the start of our read along of Children of Hurin. Um, uh, so, do you remember? I was listening to it a few, a couple of years ago. Do you know the one that was narrated by Christopher Lee? Oh yeah, I remember. Um, yeah, so that's the one we're doing for the book club, uh, and I'm um, uh, reading that. Had a very oh, as I was finishing off the script for this episode, I was having a conversation about the nature of free will again. Do you know, with like whether Turin was cursed versus whether he was just an asshole. And I once again went down that existential rabbit hole of free will in Middle Earth, which you know tortures me quite a lot. Yeah. Oh, right. So, whilst I have a couple of sups of whiskey 
what do you know about hobbits? What can you what can you tell me about them as a people? From They've an got anthrop- hairy feet. Yes. Um, they are dwellers by the river type people. Mm, some do, yeah. Some of them, they have branches out from the hobbit race, and some dwell by the river. Schmeagle. Yes. For instance, um, they live a very simple life. They like to till the land and work the land and just live a very sort of simple existence um and i imagine them as wombles <laughs> where that scene where like everyone's kind of pillaging um the hobbit hall oh, before he's yeah. even left um so yeah no, that's a, that's all I know about hobbits, really, cool. and that they're kind of like, almost like a six-year-old height. Well, our daughter is nearly the size of a hobbit, so they are smaller than you think. All oh, right, okay. Yeah. So I just completely made that up. No, no, they're between like well, they're our toddler height. Well, they might be between they're between like two and four feet generally, but we'll we'll um we'll kick it off with a couple of excerpts from the man himself. So oh, this is tallers. oh this comes from the beginning of Lord of the Rings the the book which you might have heard of Hobbits are an unobtrusive but very ancient people more numerous formerly than they are today for they love peace and quiet and good tilled earth a well ordered and well farmed countryside was their favorite haunt they are quick of hearing and sharp eyed though they are inclined to be fat and do not hurry unnecessarily they are nonetheless nimble and deft in their movements they possessed from the first the art of disappearing swiftly and silently when large folk whom they do not wish to meet come blundering by and this art they have developed until to men it may seem magical but hobbits have never in fact studied magic of any kind and their elusiveness is due solely to a professional skill that hereditary in practice and a close friendship with the earth have rendered inimitable by bigger and clumsier races. For they are a little people, smaller than dwarves, less stout and stocky, that is, even when they are not actually much shorter. Their height is variable, ranging between two and four feet of our measure. So that's from the prologue of Lord of the Rings, and it's called Concerning Hobbits, which is also... Um, one of the first lines in the films and it's also the banger of the track by Howard Shore, you know, from the soundtrack that we listen to well, quite I'm regularly. In, I'm impressed that I used the word tilled you because did, I've not yeah. even read that. I know, I, I picked I've up on that. I've had no knowledge before this podcast. I know, so. yeah, so uh, that was weird. I, I don't know, maybe we went over it last week or something, I don't know. I don't think so, no, we didn't. Oh, no, we didn't. Oh, fuck knows, I can't remember. Anyway, so today we're going to go over the origins of Hobbits and any real world inspirations because there is a couple and I say this about everything right Hobbits could be their own series of episodes so we're not going to go into the, the, massively into the culture we're not going to go into each family etc we'll touch on a couple of them briefly but we are going to look at them from a high level overview as like an anthropological stint like we're going to look at them as a race as essentially a specimen yeah, but before that, we'll cover off them from the real world. How's that sound? Yeah. How's about that then? 
so the, I was um, for, so I, I don't know if you know this um, Tolkien was a philologist and so knew a bit about languages right really uh, yeah yeah I've, yeah I've um, recorded about 50 episodes it feels like now and <laughs> I've never heard that ever 28 so the term hobbit came to Tollers one day when he was marking reports like cause he was a teacher right he was a like a professor at oxford he was yeah, so he was marking he was marking or, uh, he was marking and absent-mindedly he wrote on a pa- on a piece of paper in a hole in the ground there lived a hobbit and he said that from this the word hobbit came first and the story sprung up around it he didn't have the story and then decided that they were going to be called hobbits he wrote the word hobbit and then everything came after that well let's hope this wasn't plagiarism on his part because if you write if well, you mark an assignment it, has someone just well, randomly used that word we're gonna get into this right because he did say one of his students had written a story about people who lived in the ground well actually no that was us getting into it i don't mention this student anywhere else but yeah um he said uh, apparently one of his students had written a story about uh, people who lived in the ground but we will see that hobbits might not be as uh, just quite as original as we thought which is just fascinating. So anyway, being a philologist, he had the word hobbit, then went and did some research, and eventually he decided it could be descended from the old English word holbitla, or holbutla, which we will get into later in the language section for all the language fans out there, of which there are many. So he thought of the name, He's, and the, then the he word, deep dived into like uh, what the origins potentially could be, yes, and then create the character around traits or whatever came up. Yes, and it might have been an unconscious thing because hob could be a prefix, which means small, or I don't know, because like it's a hobgoblin. So you know, it would, hobgoblin small. Uh, I think so. Um, Let me find. I think that I out. think in D and D the bigger. Then I, I don't I know only, I only have heard of a hobgoblin from beer. Oh, yeah. I've been drinking hobgoblin, haven't I, while on this podcast. Um, but, yeah, so what was surprising was that the concept of, of hobbits predates Tolkien, but kind of not really, but because, you know, like we're, the, there is folk tales out there of, like, cheerful, helpful little people living in the woods and countryside, you know, like fairies and um, the elves from in Norse mythology. Uh, well, I think I say Norse mythology. I'm talking about Eurovision, the film with Will Ferrell and yeah. Amy Adams. <laughs> but you might want to plug your ears on for this one, Rebecca. There yeah. is a children's book called The Marvelous Land of Snags by E.A. Wyke Smith that was published in 1927. The Let's ma- get that for the child. So that was called The Marvelous Land of Snags. And this story is set on a fictional island that is on Earth, but it's very, very hard to get to. And on the island lives a race of snags who are thick as fuck. Like, thick with two Cs. They're a thick-set, helpful, cheery people who love feasting. And Tolkien himself said that this was probably an unconscious inspiration because he used to read these books to his kids. Oh, that's cute. So he used to read yeah. this book to his kids, to Christopher and Michael and, and, and what have you. But yeah, like uh, so that that's like the real world possible inspiration, um, which is cool. There's another bit which is um, interesting is that like, so in our world, right, there's 
loads of tales of small people who live in the wilderness. Yeah. Well, do you know what blew my fucking mind? In 2003, there was a species discovered in Indonesia called Homo floresiensis. And that, the oldest known skeleton of these species is 100,000 years old. And these were a race of people that lived, uh, sorry, that their average height was one meter, fully grown. So it was an offshoot of humanity. Aww. And that was found in uh, in Indonesia. And what was weird here is that these, uh, so this was 2003, right? Long after Tolkien was dead and, and nobody had discovered it before then. But they um, they found that they had large flat feet. That these Homo florensis, which is like, was like blow my mind, gives some credence that like um, the the legendarium is like an ancient history of our world. Except I then found out something which upset me greatly. Tolkien never mentioned that hobbits had big feet. I I was like, what? Excuse me, but yeah, apparently never mentions it that they had big feet. Just says that they do have hairy feet. Oh well, I was. I didn't. I never mentioned big feet. Yeah. I just said hairy feet. Yeah, ex- exactly. You did. Okay, so. So then I. I, I d- have been learning. So then I did a bit of. Uh, I did a bit of digging, and I was like, "Where's that come from?" Then, and there was two brothers called the brothers Hildebrandt who were artists, and they did several Tolkien calendars starting in 1976, and it's these calendars where it's possible our interpretation of hobbits having big feet comes from. So already I was just, I was down the rabbit hole of fascinating stuff to find out about hobbits. So just, yeah. So let's go back into the, the legendarium for a bit, right? So where do hobbits come from? I don't know. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. But no. Um, the end. The end. No, nobody knows for certain. They're, they're too quiet. They're too unobtrusive. That's their whole shtick, right? Is, is that they don't play a part in much of anything except the War of the Ring and the quest for Erebor. And that's, like, really the first time... Like, Bilbo was the first famous hobbit. And then Frodo was probably the second Sam, Merry, Pippin after that, right? Yeah. Maybe Merry and Pippin are probably more famous or well-known in Gondor and Rohan than Frodo. Maybe. But that's just because, like, they're about... And what's annoying is the hobbits don't know their own history. They don't have their own history. They don't know where they came from. But... Some scholars, word that pains me, but no, not totally. It's like scholars in universe. They say that they're likely offshoots of the race of men and thus have the same gift that men do, which has been torturing me, as I mentioned, with my conversations with, with book club members. Because hobbits then have true death and free will, right? The same gifts that men have. Do you remember we went over this about yeah. the gifts of Iluvatar? It's unfortunate because since the Silmarillion concerns mostly with elves and then only small parts are talked about men and dwarves, we don't have any other information about the hobbits other than spare sparse writings here and there. So, And of course, their biggest part was during the War of the Ring and it said after that, they disappear almost completely. And perhaps they're still out there, you know. Not, well, allegedly they are still alive in our world, but hidden from us, from the big folk, because they're naturally stealthy, right? They can just hide from us. Which, you know, yeah. So before we go into their history, 
I wanted to have a little chat with you. A little, little sit down. Krista Becker. What do you think about... So, do you know in the films where Bilbo's... Um, all the carts are coming in and, and Bilbo's giving out presents to everyone? And, and I, think, I, I think it might be mentioned in the films, I'm not sure. But hobbits give gifts to other people on their birthdays. Yeah. So what are your what are your thoughts on that? Like, what what do you think of that as an idea? I mean, that's what happens when you work in an office. You bring in cake on your birthday for other people to eat. So I'm assuming it's not a weird concept. Yeah, no, it's it's not. Um, it, it led me to two things. There's a gift giving culture, which describes the social norms around gift giving. Uh, within any given society and then there's the gift economy which is well a gift economy is a gift economy is a type of economic system in which goods or services are given without any explicit agreement for immediate or future quid pro quo luckily for that one that means that hobbits aren't a gift economy thank god I would have had to do a lot more research. But gift-giving is very important in Hobbit culture, and that's a, a topic I want to cover before we go on to like, the, the timeline of them. So Hobbits have a very strong gift-giving culture, and they've got very strict etiquette that goes around it. But it's not a gift economy. It's not an economy run on gifts. Does that make sense? Do you understand the distinction? Yeah. Okay. Um, just for my my own interest, I was looking. It seems that their society is more agrarian, in which you've got enough people that everybody can do something. So you've got your farmers, your your tillers, your millers, your bakers, your butchers, your, your butchers, your bakers, your candlestick makers, your tinker, your tailor, your soldier, your spy. You know, you've got every <laughs> you've got everyone in a society, right? So you'd you'd trade goods for goods, right? Or goods for services, right? Yeah. Um and. Fun fact, um, before I got into my current field, I was once studying to be a mortgage advisor. And I remember finding out that money is simply a medium within which goods and services can be exchanged. So money, you know, like, anyway, the point being, in an agrarian society, you don't really need that much, you don't have that much use for money. Because you can trade like a bushel of wheat or, or like yeah. for flour. Sorry, you can trade your flour for carrots and you can yeah. trade your carrots for bread. Or, well, that wouldn't make sense if you had the flour, you'd just make the fucking bread. But do you know what I mean? Like you trade, I, and because... Like, Something that has a use. Yeah, exactly. So the Shire basically is made up of people who produce, regardless of what it produce. is. Produce. Well, no, it's people who produce. They people produ- who produce They produce produce, produce yes. <laughs> And then you've got people... You're not a philologist, are you? <laughs> then you've, I think I'm turning into one. Then you've got people like Bilbo, who are of um, what would be classed as independent means. Now, arguably, it could mean that he owns the land which people farm on and they give him goods for that. Or just like they're generous. So they, they do have use for money, though, hobbits, right? They do have money. I think we should have land where we get given like food for the yeah. land. There that is, sounds mint. There is a trend of people doing that in America. It's called homesteading, where like they'll, they'll, is that where there's like a community yeah, built and yeah, they, they build they, their own houses yeah, together on their own yeah, street and they'll go and grow shit and yeah. just go into the mountains and that. And it's going to end up as a sex cult. Yeah, these that's things what it will always like. end up like a sex cult. But the idea is fantastic. But yes, so you you have like your farmers, your woodworkers, blah blah blah. Everybody produces something 
or does a service, and in exchange you have the gifts. However, they will have use for money because they trade with like Bree and Staddle and stuff like that where men are. And they know the value of money, else they wouldn't have been tearing Bilbo's house apart trying to find the fucking gold. Like Yeah, but is it not saying that gold is a thing? Like gold is like bread or whatever. Well, yes, but gold It's not gold isn't seen as a currency. Well, no, gold is a currency. Gold is is a standard currency. No, but I mean like in turn of in in terms of a coinage. It might not have been coinage, you're right. Uh, and I you see, can make gold you, into something. You can make gold. Yeah, you can. But then that would imply that you would just you'd have a distinction with with how valuable gold is. So there it is already there it is. It has value, and it is valuable. Well, everything has a value. Ex- yes, exactly. Depending on what quantity you're giving it in. Yeah, exactly. So like in an agrarian society, the goods have value. Yeah. Like uh, two chickens is worth seven turnips or whatever, yeah. right? Probably not. So gold can be exchanged for these goods. Ergo, gold has value, so they understand the value of, of a currency, right? Yeah. And if gold is accepted by everybody for every other get a product, then gold becomes a currency. So you're right, you're right, and I'm right, but I think I'm more right. You always <laughs> think you're more right, Christopher. But yeah, so they know that they have the they have a concept of of currency, right? I won't say money. They have the concept of a currency, but I think. It's generally probably an agrarian society. However, I'm going to preface this. Uh, not preface this. I'm going to just say Tolkien probably wasn't just... It just probably wasn't that interested in showing it, right? It, it wouldn't have... You know, like... Um, do you remember that... Mi- I, I showed you that Mitchell and Webb sketch where there's a director and he's like, I wanted to make films where I thought, why does nobody go for a piss in Independence Day? Why does it never see anybody taking a cigarette break in Reservoir Dogs? You know, like stuff like that where he points out all the boring stuff you don't see in films. Yeah. And I think Tolkien was probably just like, well... Well, he went to the far end of a fart on more things, so... Yeah, I, I just, I, I don't know, it just doesn't seem that interesting in it. But, yeah, uh, there, there is hints of it, though, because like in Lake Town, in The Hobbit, the master was obsessed with gold and, and money and that, right, and trade. And when the people took Bard as their kings, one of the things they said was, like, down with the money lenders. So we know money exists, uh, you know, like and, and all the treasure hoarded by the dwarves. So, you know, like, money's there, but it's just not the focus of, of the story. Anyway, back to gift-giving. Gift-giving was very important. And in letter 214 from 1958 or 1959, someone called A.C. Nunn, had written to Tolkien and pointed out, which I mentioned to you earlier today, pointed out what they saw as a contradiction in the text of Lord of the Rings uh, vis-a-vis Gollum. So in The Hobbit... uh, No, sorry. In Lord of the Rings, Gollum is a hobbit, right? And says that the ring was his birthday gift. As in, I got it for my birthday. This writer... uh, This reader, sorry, wrote into Tolkien and said, Oh, couldn't. He didn't. He didn't say that it was 1958. He said, "Like salutations, sir. I heard on the radio that your address was." Da, da, da. I, I don't know why I'm doing this. I'm, oh, I'm, pansy! Yeah, I'm drunk, sir. <laughs> Dandy boy. <laughs> Is it still homophobic if it's old timey? No, it, no, if that that was things that were said at the time. Yeah, I don't. I don't think pansy. Yeah, Tolkien didn't have a transatlantic accent, a transatlantic accent either. <laughs> anyway, apologies. We we are actually 
pretty drunk for this episode. So, the, the reader wrote in and said, Gollum is a hobbit. And he said that he got the ring as his birthday gift. However, hobbits give gifts on their birthday. So, Mr. Tolkien, the reader then asserts that either Gollum wasn't a hobbit, hobbit gift-giving is a very recent invention, i.e. within the last 500 years, Gollum's people, uh, the stewards, were hobbits but had different customs, or... Tolkien had made a mistake. Now, this letter was a draft, but it was quite thorough in his response, right? I don't know if he ever sent it. But Tolkien, Tolkien, Tolkien said, I am merely a recorder of these events, as in, like, I'm a fictional historian. So, if anything gets missed or compressed, it's to make sure you capture everything. But then he does go on to address each of the points. And the whole letter is fascinating, and it drops in some Western language that I, um, it doesn't appear anywhere else in the Legendarium, which is pretty cool. But he also states um, that there is a system of making sure that hobbits don't go bankrupt. Like he goes, he goes into detail on the gift giving of hobbits, basically, and he says that in some there are some circumstances where there is strict gift giving etiquette, such as birthdays. However, there are other times where gift giving is just completely up to you. Like, you can do whatever you want. So, it's very possible that on someone's birthday, they might have been given a gift by someone that they, you know, they loved, right? But um, he then, Tolkien, just out of nowhere, just drops this unbelievable bit of uh, trivia in saying that the expectation of gift giving in these social events such as birthdays was limited to second cousins or nearer. So second cousins, first cousins, immediate family, blah, blah, blah. And those that lived within 12 miles, right? This then gave birth to a derisive nickname, a derisive nickname for people who were tight asses, And they were the, what's called a 12-mile cousin because these are people who would interpret the law or the, the custom on its wording alone and would not gift or recognise the need to gift anybody if you live more than 12 miles away from them by their measurement. Yeah. Which I thought was fantastic. Like, we all know, right, if you if you listen to this, right, every reader knows a fucking 12-mile cousin. You just think, like, those, those tight people... Tight ass. Not just a tight ass, but a, a stickler. For, so I'm a very big believer in obey the spirit of something, not the wording. Like, yeah. spirit over wording, right? But we all know those people. You might be this person yourself, listening to this, who you will obey the law or the word of the letter of it of something over the spirit of it, and combine that with being a bit of a tight ass, and we call you a twelve mile cousin. So I'm going to start <laughs> calling people twelve mile cousins. Oh gosh. But I. So then we see that. So then we go back to Lord of the Rings, right? And we see that Bilbo's 111th birthday, which was the other day, by the way. That was unusual for two reasons. Uh, one is that he gave gifts to pretty much everyone, regardless of familial relation. It was just every he stood at the gate and just gave what out gifts. gifts. Were they? Uh, it was dwarven toys um, brought in from Dale. Oh, aye. It was dwarven toys. <laughs> that way they got so many kids. <laughs> 
This one's called Motsignia. It's the strongest one we have. <laughs> Master Baggins, are you sure you want this? It might break your asshole in two. <laughs> we call this That's one. That's why it's called Master Baggins. <laughs> we call this one the Lonely Mountain because it stands on the floor by itself. <laughs> Coming to an Ann Summers near you. Don't get me started on our newest game. Do you want to be the anvil or the hammer? <laughs> you need two friends. <laughs> oh, oh, filthy. Man. Dwarven sex toys sound hilarious now, though. So that's what he's given out. Yeah. We've got the gimp mask of Dorlorman. It can withstand any fluid. You did realise that it's not a birthday party. It's actually an orgy. <laughs> Shut the doors to the tent. <laughs> Everybody get under the fuck tree. There's 144 of us here. <laughs> right, that is that is vile. Uh, so if you're still here after that, I, I, I apologise. I don't know what happened there. Technical difficulties. So, yeah, and also as well, Bilbo was unusual for two reasons, right? One was that didn't matter who you were, he was going to give you a gift. The second thing that was unusual was... He didn't re-gift anything. Bilbo was unusual amongst hobbits because most hobbits would just re-gift things, so it was in a constant circulation, right? Yeah. Bilbo, instead, he kept everything. Every gift he got, he kept. And he would hand out new gifts. So that that was... So he was a hoarder. Yes. Yes, he was. Yes, he was. There were many doilies in his house. Many doilies. And he gave new presents away. Something else I found interesting... Weddings didn't tend to have gifts, except flowers, which I thought was pretty nice. Like, uh, because so they, no, no one sent an invite out saying we would prefer money for our honeymoon, <sighs> please. They don't have money. <laughs> they don't need money. I so weddings was another social situation where gifts were brought up, but it was mainly just flowers, and that's because hobbits tend to get married in spring and early summer, and that was that sounds most, delightful. It does. Well, our yeah. wedding was summer, wasn't it? We no, but what one. I mean is, like, no oh, gifts. Like, yeah, just get flowers. We never ask for gifts. I'm we pretty... don't ask for gifts for, yeah. for our child. I am pretty sure the last... Oh, shit, my stylus. I'm pretty sure, like, the last... Oh, shit, your stylus. Yeah. I'm pretty sure the last, like, three or four weddings we've been to, we've forgot the gift every time, and they're still just kicking around the house. Yeah, and the cards. Yeah, we are so bad for that. And then another situation where you might expect to get gifts is parents who are helping their kids move out. Um, so they'd either be moving into their own hobbit hole or they'd be moving into an apartment in a smile. Uh, a smile is S-M-I-A-L, and that's another word for a hobbit hole, right? So a smile, but some hobbit holes can span the length of an entire hill, such as um, it's a Brandybuck Hall, I think, where Mary's family lives. It's basically a huge fucking mansion where hundreds of people, hundreds of hobbits live. And they've all got apartments in there. And what they would do is that parents who were helping the kids move into their own hobbit hole, if they were going to give like gifts to help them furnish the house, they would give it long before they moved. So it was all ready to go on the day and it wasn't like it made a big thing, right? So the essence of, of, of gift giving within hobbit culture is that it was a gift giving culture, which was quite strict, but it wasn't a gift economy. An example of a gift economy would be, as I think I mentioned... Christmas. 
No. An example, that's gift-giving culture. An example of a gift-giving economy would be like ancient Scandinavia, where, and there is other ones, but again, Vikings is, is kind of where my focus was. So like Viking Scandinavia, um, ancient Viking Scandinavia, is where you would be given a gift of jewellery and then the next year you would work and you would work the fields for the person who'd given you the gift, right? And it was the social pressure that kept everything in in balance. Yeah. And that's a gift economy. Which, like, it's not expected, but it kind of was. So, you know, like, generosity. The, the more generous you were, the better you were, essentially. Yeah. So, yeah, um, ritualized gift-giving was limited to a few instances, such as birthdays, and another one was adoption or birth which I think was absolutely lovely, right? So, if a hobbit is adopted, they are given a gift by their new parents as a a symbol of welcome to the family, right? And on the birth of a baby hobbit, as opposed to the birth of an adult hobbit, on the birth of a baby hobbit, the head of the family, the patriarch or the matriarch, would give a gift to the baby and that was a symbolic gesture of you are accepted as part of this family oh that's cute that so is that's yeah. the tradition we're starting that, that's pretty nice actually yeah um uh, so uh, uh, this this made me smile so much as a dad this made me smile so much when a hobbit can walk and talk properly so around about three give or take they give gifts to their parents and the and this is one of the etiquette parts the gift is usually something made found or grown by the by the little baby hobbit by the three-year-old Aww. and with the and because it's baby hobbits it's usually bunches of wildflowers they give to their parents Aww. which is just oh so yeah this whole letter letter 214 if anybody wants more information on it right this whole letter really highlights that there was fucking nutters in 1958 talking to Tolkien and there's fucking nutters obsessed with him now. Nothing has changed. <laughs> but out of that we I got... I thought to... you were going to say something nicer. <laughs> no. But um, uh, yeah, out of that we got some very good information. Uh, oh, Hobbits and Marriage is another one I wanted to talk about, which I, I thought was pretty cool, right? So, um, I right, I think this is another example of the Catholicism creeping in, because every culture, men, dwarf, well, not men actually, uh, dwarves, elves, and hobbits now are deeply monogamous. So elves don't, don't only Feanor's dad remarried, right? He's the only, pretty much the only elf who did that. But elves mate for life. Dwarves mate for life if they get married at all and hobbits are monogamous and rarely remarried in the event of death uh, and so like so you're definitely not hobbit you're my first marriage <laughs> no but you've always said that if I like pop my clogs or something you're or like we split up you would find someone else no you've you've always inferred that from what I've said yeah because you're pretty clear on your junk still working. Yeah, but no, going that, forward. that's not marriage. That's marrying genitals. That's no. that's the marriage of that's two sets of thighs rubbish. together. But that's not. You would get married again. I, you would. I would not. I would. I'm not having a good go of it the first time. <laughs> you, 
I'm joking. Would. I'm joking. I love you very much. Um, I don't know. It it depends. I I would not get married ever again. I've, I wouldn't have anyone ever again. I've told you, right? If we ever get divorced or like I'm widowed, I'm just gonna go buck wild, sampling all of earthly delights, like trans men, trans women, other women. That's basically all three of them, to be fair. But like, yeah, you know, I'll, I'll fuck it. I'll ride it. I'll try and ride everybody. You know, sorry. Whereas I'm just like, I've not bought me some great presents, some great <laughs> Hobbit toys. I don't need anyone else after you. I, I just no way. Relationship, relationship, relationships, out. relationships are different, right? The amount of the amount of effort and work that goes into a relationship is it's too much. Daunting. It is daunting because we work. We work hard at our relationship. We work hard at our marriage, uh, and you can't just expect Ourselves. these things to work. Yeah, and and I just I don't want to do that again. <laughs> That's fucking effort. <laughs> right. Let's get back to the episode. Hobbits were monogamous, right? They rarely remarried. Blah blah blah. But the surname would go would is patrilineal. Which do you know what that means? Let me think. I'm sure, you can figure it out. Is it just that the names passed down through all the men? Yeah, the main line of the, the males. However, it it's a bit weird because hobbits are a bit of a they're a bit of a mix of progressive and conservative. So it's patrilineal patrilineal. However, households are described as a diarchy in which the male and the female head of the house have equal status. If a male head of a house dies, the female just takes over as the sole head until she dies or she resigns. Only after that does the eldest son take over, right? And if the head of the family doesn't have any sons or surviving sons and only has daughters, the daughter's eldest son would take over. As the that head of the family. That sounds like the type of the royal family type of shit. That no, no, I think it's primogeniture. I'm pretty sure it's like di- so diarchy until both have died, and then after that it's primogeniture. I'm pretty sure that is the plot for Pride and Prejudice. That's just like traditional, old fashioned. Yeah, that, so that's primogeniture, yeah. right? Yeah. No, but the diarchy. Oh, shit. No, 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 no. That that's the that's the part that's primogeniture. The part before that, where the male and the female have head of household at equal status, right? The master and the mistress of the house, right? That's the diarchy because there is no distinction in power there. Like they are both heads of the house, and if the man dies, the woman is still in charge. There is to an extent, though, because of the name. Wait, so- wait, wait, wait. Whoa, whoa! Hold your fucking horses. If it goes to the eldest daughter, uh, sorry, the eldest daughter's son, the daughter's eldest son would take over. What's unusual here is that he'd keep his mother's name first, and then his father's name second. So he double barrels it. That's what they do in Denmark. And the only thing I can think of here is that something similar to happen with the Sackville Bagginses, because I think they're the only ones I can think of that that do that where they've double barreled the, the names so yeah that is just like whew, that's a, a lot of information how are you feeling about this so far I'm, I'm to be honest I have fucking loved 
researching this. Yeah, it's very interesting. And I've isn't just, it? I'm just fact-checking. Yeah. That isn't what they do in Denmark. Just ignore me. I'm it's... sure it's something like you called the wife of, like, or the... Oh, is that Norse, like, um, daughter son? I think so. Yeah, yeah, it's like, um, uh, Hathor Bjornsson, like, son of Bjorn, and then... I think you called wife of... Yeah, yeah, well, like, so, with names, like, it's, it's like, Thorson, and then it's something's daughter, which is daughter, like, um, through Thor's daughter, from, you know, like, Thor's daughter. Ah. So... Should we move on to uh, the history, like let, let the, the actual timeline as, as best as we can tell it? Yeah. There are three main branches of hobbits that can be identified. He fucking loved, the, he loved three, didn't he, Tolkien? Three elves, three houses of men, three types of hobbits, seven types of dwarf. <laughs> <laughs> so there are three main branches. Uh, but again, these branches kind of like all mix at a certain point. So it's you'd have like some fallow hide qualities, some stewer qualities, blah, blah, blah. Um, so the three branches were the Harfoots, the Stewers, and the Fallowhides. The earliest hobbits lived east of the Misty Mountains between the Anduin River and Mirkwood, which is the same place where Bjorn's people lived, right? And and yeah. at the time, Mirkwood was called Greenwood. And the Northmen knew the hobbits there, and they would remain an object of folklore even when these Northmen moved south and became the Rohirrim. So the Rohirrim knew the hobbits long before they became the Rohirrim. Hmm. It's just very windy. Yeah, according to themselves, the hobbits had existed for millennia unnoticed and they just, you know, kept to themselves. So we only start to hear about them, um, well, I'll tell you in a second, but we only start to hear about them in Third Age, but according to themselves, they've been around for a lot longer. And, and what was happening was there was an increasing, in the Third Age, there was an increasing number of Easterlings coming west, so like uh, the, the, I, the bad, quote-unquote, the bad men. And this combined with the rising shadow from Sauron at Dol Guldur, Sauron, sorry, at Dol Guldur in Mirkwood, the hobbits made the decision, like the elves before them, yeah, during the Great Journey, that the hobbits made the decision that they were going to cross the Misty Mountains and they made this decision sometime around the beginning of the Third Age. And this is called their Wandering Days. And it's on this journey westward that the three clans began to mix. However, some of them, some of the stewards, like the elves of the Nandor, they turned back and went back to where they'd originally lived in the, the Wilderland, right? Or Ravanion. They just turned around and were like, I don't want to, this journey's not for me. That's who Gollum belonged to. That was his people, as the ones who turned back and went back to live by the river. Like you said, some of the ones who live near the river. So, where do they begin to appear in the written records? And the first place that the hobbits appear is the year 1050, when the Harfoots came to Eriador, and that's just west of the Misty Mountains. The other side of the Misty Mountains is Eriador, that's where the Shire is. It's that whole country. So, can you see between the Misty Mountains, yeah? Yeah. And then the mountains on the other side? Yeah. Pretty much all of that in between is Eriador. So it's, okay. a, it's a big country. Got you. Yeah. So the Harfoots came to Eriador in 1050. Around 100 years later, in 1150, the Fallowhides came. 
And the Stewards came afterwards, but they went further south and they went into an area called Dunland. And it's from Dunland that um, in 1356, or like 200 years later or so, some of them would leave Dunland and go back to where they'd settled on eastwards to the east side of the Misty Mountains. So again, either joining or becoming the people that Golem would come from. The Kingdom of Angmar was founded in the year 1300 of the Third Age. Now, this is where the Witch King of Angmar comes from, the Lord of the Nazgul. Now, the hobbits would flee from uh, the, the people of Angmar because they were bad juju. Just very fucking bad people to be around. They, they did not care for it. And so that caused them to flee westwards as far as, as, as much as they could until they came to Bree, which is a, a, a human settlement, a human not- town. A cheese. Not a cheese, town. no, no. It's Bree. Do you know where um, they meet Strider for the first time in the pub? Yeah, I was just being silly. I don't, do know where you mean. Don't ever. I'm just hungry. Don't ever joke about cheese on this podcast. I'm just hungry. I fucking love cheese. I know I want a toasty. Oh, yeah. No, no, it's too late. It's too no, late. No, it's not too late. Shush. The hobbits would make their first settlements in Bree and Staddle, okay? Uh, Staddle I mentioned earlier it's just a, it's another settlement and then 300 years later so that everything was hunky dory 300 years later in the year 1601 King Argaleb II would grant permission for a large population of Bree hobbits to colonise a region beyond the Brandywine River known as the Baranduin which it was called the Baranduin River and they renamed it the Brandywine just easier and two Fallowhide brothers called Marcho and Blanco were the first to cross the Brandywine and settle in the land we now know as... Where do the hobbits live? Hobbiton. Yeah, what's it called? The, the Shire. The Shire. Fucking hell, Rebecca. <laughs> so I'm what... just thinking about cheese toasties now. Just Stop. So what got me here as well was, uh, again, unexpected, was something else, was that um, these brothers, Marcho and Blanco, or Marco and Blanco, it was a bit of a joke that Tolkien was having as a philological joke, right? These were most likely based on the mythical Germanic brothers in our world, Hengist and Horsa, who led the Angles, Saxons and the Utes to invade Britain in the 5th century, to, to come and settle in Britain. So it was just like a little joke, like two people, uh, two brothers, colonising a new land. And what's really... Uh, really No, 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 no. What's really fucked up, right, is that Hengist and Horsa, both their names mean horse. But in Old English and Celtic, Macho and Blanco can both translate to horse as well. So it was a philological joke because they all mean horse. Like He's just saying like these are the in-world versions of them. Mm. So I was just like, what? So yeah, it was just an outside force colonising a new land, the Shire, England, you know, or Britain. Yeah, it's just poor. So later on, these hobbits were were joined by the Stewards from Dunland. They came up from the south and and came over west. And then the Shire was in full swing. And in the year 1601, when the Shire was founded, they started their own calendar, which was called Shire Reckoning. So... (laughs) Year one of the Shire Reckoning, or SR, is 1601 of the Third Age of Middle-earth. So they have two different calendars of the ways of, of, of reckoning. 
So yeah, the, um, the rest we know well, right? Uh, that's that's pretty much it for the history, right? Um, they stayed quiet, they stayed out the way, they were forgotten by everyone until Gandalf, mainly. Like, obviously Bree knew about them, but the world at large kind of forgot about them, just let them get on with themselves. Gandalf became aware and became their friend at one point. And then, the, as I mentioned earlier, the first famous hobbit was Bilbo and his quest for Erebor. And then later, during the War of the Ring, uh, Frodo, Sam, Merry, Pippin became very well known. Frodo, arguably, probably less so because Sam was the mayor of the Shire for like 47 years. Merry and Pippin were Thanes, uh, not Thanes, sorry. Well, yeah, I think they were Thanes, maybe. One of them was. Anyway, they were friends of Gondor and Rohan, so they were always traveling to and from. Like, they were out in the world at large and they were just mint. And it said that. After the War of the Rings, so Fourth Age and beyond, the hobbits dwindled in number, like the dwarves. And now they are still present in the northwest of our world, but they're rarely seen by the big folk and use their gift of stealth to go unnoticed. Which is just like fairies. Wow. Yeah. That's just that's so that's the history of the hobbits, but um would you like to go over some language? Not really. Oh, come on. For me? <laughs> come on. Whatever. Right. So. jeez. Oh, this one's fascinating. I thought we've already done language. No, we don't. No, no. It's its own section. So it, it's important to know. Um, so do you remember in the films, like, um, Lurtz was shouting, like, find a halfling. Yeah. Hobbits don't refer to themselves as halflings. They don't see themselves as half of anything. And they find it quite offensive. So if you have like half cast people feel that way. Yeah, exactly. Like we stop. Yeah, I think we stop using that. Br- yeah, what do we use now? Is it mixed race? Mm-hmm. Is that what we use? Yeah. I remember when I was little. Like it was like, oh yeah, so and so's half cast. And there's a poem by is it Seamus Heaney or someone? There's Aye. a poem about being half half cast. No, it's not Seamus Heaney. It's definitely not him. He's white. But there's a poem, a famous poem about yeah. being half cast. See, and it reflects on kind of feeling like you're neither fully one race or another and that there's nowhere, like, you, you feel like there's no belonging and blah, 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 blah. Um, So, yeah, we we don't, that's a sore uh, use of word to say half-cast or half-ling, like you're half a oh, person. Oh, shit. Do you know what? Uh, right, so growing up as a kid in the northeast of England, right, there's some language which I'm sure I've yet to discover would be problematic. But I've just had, I've just looked it up here, right? So half, I, I I always focused on the half as a kid, never as the cast, right? But I've just looked it up here. It's a term. It's an offensive term, obviously. You know, uh, I I assume everybody who's listening to this understands we're doing this in good faith, right? We're not just mad racists looking at sling around slurs and what have you, but. It's a term used for individuals of, of multiracial descent. However, it's de- it's de- 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 derived from the term caste, which comes from the Latin castus, meaning pure. That's so fucked up. I never thought that as a kid. Right. It just means you're half pure. Yeah. What the fuck? So, the poem is by John Agard. All right. And um, it is very powerful. So, if you actually listen to the poet reading it himself... Oh, can you do that on YouTube? Um, yeah. Yeah. And it's written in kind of like in 
in the sort of dialect that he would speak as well. Oh, okay, that's pretty cool. So, um, there's um, yeah. it's like there's a there's a, there's a black lad on TikTok, right? And he's fucking unbelievable. He's like, um, he teaches science, but like to 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 kids who are like in gangs and that. So he uses like all the slang because he's he's from that background. And he's taught me what the inside of a battery looks like, which I think is fucking... Min- but I am pretty stuck on this, right? So I can't believe that the cast in Half-Cast comes from the Latin castus, which means pure. So this whole time... And I don't know how many people would even know this, but like the whole time you're literally saying you are half pure. Yeah, and as well... That is so fucked up. Um. What the fuck? Yeah. Do you know what I thought it meant? Like... I thought it meant like. No, I don't even know what the fuck I thought it meant. I, I have no idea. I always focus on the half. Like, you, you focus as a kid. You focus on the half. Obviously, it's not a term I've used before now since for like fucking decades. But you always focus on the half, never on the the next bit. Right? That is fucked up. I, I hundred percent understand why that's a slur. I was I was like, oh, okay, that's not really as hard hitting as like the end. I think as well, like cast in my brain. Makes me think of like you're half cast, so you're half casting like a mold of one person and an ethnicity yeah, in half of the other cast. I thought of the I thought That's of like how I, I thought of it. the cast of a mold as well. Yeah. yeah, like yeah, you're like you're half bronze, half nickel. Yeah, like that'd be fucking cool. Imagine that. Imagine like oh shit, they're half cast, and in comes like a fucking Terminator. Yeah, terrifying. That'd be pretty fucking cool. Like I'm half titanium, half steel alloy. Yeah, but it's not quite as cool when it's racism. No, it's not. That's pretty fucked up. Anyway, um, yeah, so if you meet a hobbit, don't call him a halfling. In, f- in fact, if anything begins with a half, uh, let's just not call people it. Um, I never really, uh, I never usually err on the side of caution with these things, but that's pretty fucked up after looking into that. Anyway, um, going back to it, the reason why they were called halflings in-universe is because... The Numenorians used to grow to a height of two ranga, which I think maybe is like a meter. I'm not sure, but hobbits would only be one meter or one ranga. I'm not sure what a ranga equates to. So they would say they were half, half of of that. They are half the height of a Numenorian, which obviously hobbits are just like, fuck you, man, dickhead. But um, yeah, so that's where halfling comes from. But we'll look at the origins of some of the others. In the Rohanese language, which Tolkien said... So do you know how um, the language of Dale was Old Norse in the dwarf episode we did a few weeks ago? Yeah. In this one, Rohanese is Old English. So the Old English is is Rohanese, right? And the Old English for the word hobbit is Holbitler which means hall dweller or hall builder. And then the Rohirrim actually had another term for hobbit, which was kud dukan, which also translates into hall dweller. And then on pronunciation, and this is a, a mad one, on pronunciation, Tolkien wrote a letter to Alina Dadles in 1962 when the hobbit was being translated into Spanish in, I think it was Argentina, and there was a debate they were talking about, right? Um, so the, the Argentinians or, or, or whoever was saying, how do you want the word hobbit to look in Spanish, right? 
because Tolkien had said Obitos, which H-O-B-I-T-O-S, like Obitos, or Hobitos, with a J. Uh-huh, right? Yeah, I get you. So, uh, it's just, I know, I need the listeners to know that you can understand me. Sorry, I'm just trying to concentrate. Yeah, okay. So, Tolkien requested that they keep it as Obitos. As he said, most hobbits would drop their H's anyway, like people do in rural England. So, it makes me think, like, this whole time we've been saying hobbits. And in, Going in, to pub. Yeah, in, in fact, the, the, part of the hobbits themselves would be like, hobbits. Wait, hobbits. Yeah. And and it's funny you said about going to a pub because I said I'm from the northeast, and we gave up on the letter T in the middle of words centuries ago. Like I've just said letter, <laughs> <laughs> letter, letter T. <laughs> so yeah, um, then we move on to the Elvish language. So Quenyan and Sindarin both call hobbits Perian, which means halfling, and the Quenyan version can also be Periando, and the plural is Perian. And the collective plural is Perianath. And that's your Quenyan and Sindarin. In Westron, which is um, the language that the book is written in and then translated into English, if you remember, we mentioned that ages ago. Yeah. The Hobbit is Kuduk. And another word for them is Banakil, which means halfling in Westron. Does anyone take this in? Because I don't. There is a couple of people who message me about it, uh, which is pretty cool. And they were like, oh, more language stuff. Which... Uh, they... They clearly have different brains to me because my brain does not take this in. Well, there is another Westron word that I discovered today that <sighs> I've never heard anywhere else in the legendarium called Ribadian, which describes a person celebrating their birthday. But what's interesting is, do you know, we were talking about Norse stuff. It comes back to that because Ribadian is a direct cognate or equivalent to the Anglo-Saxon word birding. B-Y-R-D-I-N-G. And the root word for Old English birding can be found in Old Norse, where bird, B-Y-R-D, means birth. So we're back to, to, to Norse again. Another word that crops up is smile. Do you know what I mentioned earlier? It's a word for hobbit holes, S-M-I-L. Yeah. And that's the form of the Old English words smoogle or smeagle or smeagle which means to creep or burrow and it's a word that's cropped up before right we did it in our golem episode do you remember where we said it was um smeagle and smaug share elements in their names yeah because smaug crept into the mountain and smeagle crept underground and smaug is slightly different because the, the cognate of smeagle in old germanic is smoogen and the past tense of smoogen is smaug but that's 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 it for the language right i've got a last bit. Good, because I'm ready to slip my wrists. <laughs> that's that's it for the language. Jeez. <laughs> that's it for the language. I hope you. Uh, I hope the listeners enjoyed that. Becca's got a head in her hands. Um, she's just not not feeling the language and hobbits. But I do have a, a pretty depressing fact to end on for being such a cheery Good. episode. Thank you. So, do you know in like tabletop games like D and D and Pathfinder? Like I play D and D. Well, we say I play D and D. I'm actually playing Pathfinder at the moment. Do you mean like Monopoly? No, no. Fuck off. The game I play on a Monday. It's a tabletop game, is Monopoly. Tabletop role playing game, right? TTRPG. That's fuck you. right. That's what you mean there. Ooh. Um, I thought you meant Monopoly. Oh, you pedantic bastard! So. Right, you know in D and D, right? You know there's a race called halfling. Yes. Right, it's the little ones, the thieves, and that. Right. You don't explicitly get hobbits because 
the word Hobbit is trademarked by Middle Earth Enterprises, which I had no idea about until today. They're doing, going all Disney on that shit. Yeah, so you can't use the word Hobbit because it's it literally trademarked, even though it's pretty fucked up because in a list of spirits, years before Tolkien wrote The Hobbit, there was a spirit called a Hobbit, but it doesn't give any distinction about what it was or anything. It's just a name, so arguably the trademark might be invalid, but who knows. But in D&D... In its earliest iteration, it came out in the 70s, Dungeons and Dragons, right? Yeah. Its creator was called is, is Gary Gygax, so, and he founded a company called TSR, which stands for Tactical Studies Rule, and that was in 1973. And he co-founded it with a man named Don Kay. And they released the first edition of Dungeons and Dragons, right? And people were saying, oh, this looks like you've taken a bit of inspiration from Tolkien here, right? And uh, a certain company called Tolkien Enterprises, which was a production company owned by, owned by a guy called Saul Zentz, thought so too because they sent a cease and desist letter to TSR claiming that they were appropriate in Tolkien's intellectual property. So Gary Gygax and Don Kay, to, to in Dungeons & Dragons, they had to change some things to kind of appease the, the people. Uh, appease the, the cease and desist letter, sorry. Yeah. So they changed some stuff, right? Um, so Hobbit, the, the race for the Hobbit that they had, became Halfling, which is still going strong in most fantasy things today. Like, I've played Halflings in, in my tabletop games. They were Ents in the first editions of D&D, but they had to na- rename that to Triant. And they also had Balrogs, which was fucked up because Gary Gygax was like, oh, we didn't take that much inspiration. And then there's, uh, there's like, pictures of, like, the storyboarding of the game, like, the D- Dungeons & Dragons game. And under Balrog, they've written, like, has bat-like wings covered in flame, has a whip and a jagged sword. And it's just like, uh, hang on a sec. <laughs> so they changed the name. Um, or in the first edition, they changed the Balrog to... It's either a Type 5 or a Type 6 demon of Balor. Which, you know, and they were still a bit cheeky about it because in the first edition of Advanced D&D or AD&D for nerds who are in the know, the players can earn titles through their class progression, right? So as, as you, you, you get further with class, you can have titles. And in the Ranger class, or Ranger is the key word here, when you get to level two, you can take the title of Strider, which is a bit... Ooh. Because obviously when they first meet Aragorn, he's called Strider. Yeah. yeah. And he's a ranger from the north. I remember. And this this really fucked me up because this is what tabletop games are based on, right? Another thing that was claimed apparently in this letter was that a concept of a diverse and multi-ethnic, multi-skilled, multi-classed band of adventurers seeking ancient relics was Tolkien-esque. Which, it, that's the core of, like, tabletop role-playing games, isn't it? It's mm. like, you all band together to find something. Yeah. And the, the Guy Gax's defense was, well, you can't really do Lord of the Rings justice within the boundaries of the rules. And that was that was it. But he tried to distance himself from it in future. But, uh, yeah, that's it. That That's Hobbits. How are you, how are you feeling? I feel like you're being dragged through a hedge. Yeah. But in a nice way, so that's good. Good. Right. The language well, bit ah. fails me. <laughs> well, 
Right. Well, that's it for this week. Uh, it's an hour and uh, an hour and some. So we'll uh, let everybody get back to the day. But thank you for listening. Um, that's it from me, Chris. See you later. Bye. Bye.